Welcome to The Storyboard, a podcast about the creative minds behind today's leading film, television, and commercial productions. We explore the topics affecting today's top content creators, from process to politics and anything in between. The Storyboard is a joint production brought to you by Nice Shoes and Sound Lounge, leaders in post-production audio and video. I'm Sean Grace, and we're recording this conversation in one of the many opulent studios here at Sound Lounge on Fifth Avenue in the Flatiron District in the heart of New York City. Today's guests are Nadia Blake, an award-winning executive producer and the former director of broadcast at Publicis, where she led a team of over 40 agency producers on national campaigns for brands such as Citibank, BMW, and P&G. And Mr. Tom Chrisman, award-winning executive creative director at agencies such as JWT, Cliff Freeman, and BBDO. Tom is currently chief creative officer and partner at DeMassimo Goldstein, Ed Age's 2014 Small Agency of the Year. Tom is also the founder and commissioner of the Mad Men Bowling League. More importantly, yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Nadia and Tom. You're so hired as a voiceover guy, by the way. <laughs> I'll send you my reel. Okay. Good. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to get both of your perspectives on the current state of the ad agency today. Starting with you, Nadia, what are some of the biggest shifts you've seen over the past several years? Well, two, two big ones, I suppose. From a production point of view, um, the shrinking budgets. Um, I know it's been talked about an awful lot, but not something I, you know, something I have to mention right now. It, it's, uh, it, it, you know, we thought budgets were low three or four years ago, and now they're an awful lot lower than that and and continue and that's had a a large effect on uh, on the work um and then a very um you know the other obvious one um you know I spent many years at uh, at publicis and during that time we transitioned from a uh, very traditional agency to a work at uh, an agency that did uh, both traditional and digital work um and um that you know that obviously changed an awful lot of just the dynamic between, you know, who were the important people in the room and who was listening to who, you know, um, that, that those are the big things that have that have changed, really. Mm -hmm. Sure. Tom, what, what have you seen? Yeah, it's I think those two things are huge. Um, and the the other thing that's happening is that more and more companies are becoming uh, going direct to people uh, wherever they are um, and not sort of focusing so much on the big the big media you know broadcast and and even radio is down um, because people are finding people are choosing to engage with with uh, content from brands uh, as opposed to uh, it being sort of shoved in their face um, mm -hmm. so that's for me that's the exciting part of it um, the shrinking budgets are <laughs> certainly uh, challenging but I feel like sometimes it's fun. Um, I'm used to just making things. When I was freelance, I would just make things for myself to to do things, and um, it's sort of that mentality now uh, in the agency, uh, in all the agencies. Um, so that's exciting for me. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I was at the ANA conference last uh, fall down in Orlando, and I think it was the CMO of, of Pepsi who came out and said that uh, the, the old model was uh, you basically did four spots a year. Mm-hmm. You had three to four months to produce each one of them. <laughs> you had anywhere between one to two million per spot to work God, with. That was fun. And, uh, and that was the old model. But now uh, you basically have to produce you know, 400 pieces of content. <laughs> You have to produce them every eight days, yeah. and you have about twenty thousand apiece. Yeah. yeah. So they said overall, he was saying that the budgets haven't necessarily decreased, but they've been just sliced and diced, mm-hmm. uh, yes. and just in order to create uh, exponentially more amounts of content. Yeah, and that takes more creativity, I think, than. Well, you know, the other thing that I've been saying a lot is that I think it's such an exciting time to to be a producer right now. You know, 15 years ago, whenever it was, everybody, all the producers, we were all looking at each other saying, oh, the 30-second spot's dead. What are we all going to be doing? And in fact, now a good producer is so much more relevant than they were and so much more important because, you know, the decisions are so different. It's 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 e- easier in an awful lot of ways to have a great piece of creative and a million dollars and everybody wants to work on your on your piece mm-hmm. um, whereas you know you get you've you've got six pieces of content to produce and fifty thousand dollars and really the producer is a key um, person in in deciding or helping the team decide together um, you know, we shouldn't be making all six of those. With that kind of budget, it would be better to do three good ones. Or guess what? With this particular audience, we can actually make eight for $50,000, you know, depending on the content and, and the audience. And I think that, you know, producers are such enablers right now um, um, and can bring a lot to the party. So, And also you can do more with less money now yeah. than you could back then. I mean, if Without you have an iPhone, yeah. you know, we could make a commercial right here in this room. Uh, for yep. nothing, and put it on Cameo, get it up on Vimeo, and right. hashtag that stuff, and and get it out on the uh, on the interwebs. Right, on the inter- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> more and more agencies are building out their own internal production and post production divisions uh, versus contracting outside uh, independents. How do you think this affects the creative quality of the work, Tom? I think it's it's a it's a function of having so many pieces to make. Um, at Damasimo Goldstein, we do use outside production companies for a lot of things. Um, we also use our own uh, internal things for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, we also use the client's internal uh, creative uh, people and collaborate with them. So collaboration and getting along and being able to go down to Wilmington, Delaware and sit in a room with the creative team of your client and be able to inspire them and get inspired by them and come up with ideas right there on the fly and make them happen is really important. And if you can have your own internal um, room where those producers, those young producers who are just native, like, oh, yeah, we'll just shoot it on on our iPhone and we'll get it up on, you know, whatever new platform there is. Mm-hmm. Um, those people are going to go to the places that are doing that and understand that. So having an internal uh, production company, does, I don't think it takes away from the uh, sort of outside production companies because you're going to go to them when you have something that takes their expertise and say, well, you know, Ridley Scott is the guy who knows how to do this, so we got to get him to do it. Um, you're going to go there, but there's also these little pieces that, you know, nobody's going to make any money on outside 
and you can you know build your expertise with it. So I think it's I think it's fun, and I think it's um, a way for everybody to just get better at making things. Mm-hmm. So you don't think it it uh, affects negatively the creative output. It's just a well, function sure. of utility. I mean, no, I mean in general, like the percentage of good creative is still what twenty percent, <laughs> if that, uh, and it always has been. Right. But if you look back at you know commercials made by the big agencies back in the '60s and '70s, they're terrible now. If you look at it, you know it's sure. just like well, you know mm-hmm. most of them are crap, but mm-hmm. they just had the budgets and the and the time to to make that crap really <laughs> with a lot of money. There's going to be lots of crap, obviously, but you're going to get better and better, and, and the people that are, are good at things are going to rise to the top. Right. Nadia, do you have a perspective well, on I that? Well, I have a slightly different view on it. I mean, um, I agree that it's it's great to have that in-house resource. And one of the other, you know, all the reasons that uh, Tom mentioned, um, one of the other ones that you didn't mention is that uh, – so many of the creatives are so busy and work on so many pieces of business that it's useful for them to be able to pop down the hallway um, to in-house um, editorial production yeah. facilities rather than to have to go, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's only, you know, 20 minutes away. Right. Um, so that's that's happening. But, but certainly what I'm seeing is, um, and I feel there's going to be an explosion of, of in-house production over the next couple of years, and I am concerned that um, there isn't the talent to do the work to the um, you know to the level that that I would prefer it to to be at. I mean, mm-hmm. we we all know there's going to be a lot of cha- a lot more. I mean, there's been a lot of changes happening. It's going to continue over the next few years. And this in-house production, um, there's so much pressure to you know not even not even just to do not only for the reason of doing stuff cheaply, but to capture that revenue. I fear that there will be jobs that will be you know try to. Um, wanted to do in-house and there won't be the level of talent to do them mm-hmm. properly. We'll see, you know, where exactly yeah. where that goes. I mean, there'll be a learning curve, I, I hope. And maybe people will push it too far and and then come back. I mean, I, I certainly agree there will always be a certain amount of production that will go out of house to the, to the specialists. Mm-hmm. But I think that that will be, you know, that will decrease over the next few years. And the, the sort of work that we're doing um, in-house at agencies will, will increase. Yeah, our last uh, episode we had uh, Rochelle Madden, uh, executive director of AICE, and Chris Franklin, who owns uh, Big Sky. Big, Big Sky. Sky. Big Sky, sorry. Wonderful. Um, and uh, they both had um, similar views, but took it from, from two different angles. Uh, mm-hmm. Chris was looking at it from the creative editorial angle, feeling that the internal production divisions um, were there to essentially just churn out material and they weren't nurturing talent. And mm-hmm. they, he felt that there was definitely a deficit on the creative side. Rochelle was looking at it from your point of view uh, regarding capturing revenue and that it be, it's, they're seeing it as a definite revenue source. Um, so both of them, certainly for obvious reasons, you know, had fairly strong opinions you know, regarding the in-house production phenomenon. And they were mm-hmm. sort of approaching it from, from two different angles. I've already seen a change over the last couple of years in even the um, freelance editors and directors that are available to for agencies to hire to work in-house. The level has already gone up in the last couple of years. Um, and I think from you know production and editorial companies, that's probably a bad thing because really what it means is there are fewer of them that are able to sustain, you know, the amount of talent that are out there, and, and so more of them are becoming freelance. Mm. Um, and it's it's you know the the as I say um, the 
the talent um, is slightly better than it was a couple of years ago that's available um, as freelance, and I assume that's going to continue. I mean, I, I, you know, I also worry about um, the editorial companies that are out there, you know, long term, there's surely going to be fewer of them mm-hmm. in five years' time than, than there are now. But, you know, bringing on talent is a is a, a, a very valid point. I mean, I talk to a lot of um, production companies about that, and that's one of the things that that they are struggling with because that's one of the big things that, you know, production companies do. They, they you know, have their directors that are making money and they, they bring up new talent. And yeah. that's that's tougher for them now that they're all, you know, earning less money and on each job. And um, yeah. so, but, you know, maybe our in-house agency facilities will step into that. And those, Be the next, uh, find the next... Yeah, big director. Maybe that's where they'll. Have that would to. be cool, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> um, the the other thing that I love about uh, being able to make stuff quickly in house is you can sort of prototype things in a more uh, almost like software. So you can like make a you can make a little video, get it out there in a small space, and sort of it's like a we call it. Um, we're, we've we've just come up with like a inspiring action lab um, for um, how to like figure out. What really makes people click on it? Is it this video or this video? Um, to do so that as quickly, a, as a testing, method. yeah, as research, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you, you know, sometimes it's good enough to just say, okay, then run with it, and it's just this weird little video. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes you just learn something like, oh, that insight really hits with people. So let's, whenever we do our next thing, have a little more money, um, mm-hmm. and you can do crazy stuff, and the client will be like, all right. 20 grand, let's let's try it. And mm-hmm. um, you can sort of test your own theories and, and figure stuff out. So that's kind of a cool right. uh, aspect of it. You need the right clients that are okay with like, you know, sort of running around and, and trying things. But um, it's exciting if you can find them. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's fun. Because I mean, it's one of the things, the example I always think of that I first really was aware of a client doing that sort of stuff is Geico. Yes, um, yes, you know, they do where, that on a, on a huge scale, right? On a huge right? scale where they just have, you know, three or four different kinds of campaigns running to, yeah, you right. know, appeal to different different people, I guess. And Martin does the same thing in-house where they'll, they'll I heard, they have different creatives work on it each time. They don't have like one, the you're the Geico team, right? They have like everybody sort of running around trying to, come up with the next thing. And yes, I mean, Geico, you'll see like the gecko was just a one-off little thing. Like, oh, that's funny, <laughs> gecko, Geico. Uh, mm-hmm. They put it up there and it, it was well. a huge success. And suddenly they're like, all right, I guess we got to keep doing this one. Mm-hmm. But then they didn't stop there where you know, a lot of clients would, would be like, all right, that's tried and true. This is, what's, this is what works. And mm-hmm. it's not always the truth. It, sometimes it moves around. But um, I love the the Geico example. Cause I, do, I do too. And part of the reason I do is that I, I suppose I've spent a lot of um, time in my career working with clients who, you know, test everything and won't yeah. put any money behind anything that they know is exactly, you know, that's really going to work. So right. it's always seemed so refreshing to me. Um, to, that's um, the other side of, of the smaller budgets is you don't have to worry so much. It's not like, well, we're going to spend $30 million. It better be right. And you know, mm-hmm. I've been to a lot of these testing things, and they're you know, there's no way they're testing like some real thing. It's just it's we picked a number and we said okay, if it goes in the top green box or whatever the whatever their uh, yeah. their thing is, and and we all decided that that was the result. And how many times have you seen something that tested really well and then you it doesn't work? Right. And everybody forgets that it tested really well and now it didn't work. So to be able to test on the fly and to do you know, 
10 things as opposed to one thing um, or three things in testing and then you pick one. Mm -hmm. um, it's always what the client likes. It's never really about the <laughs> testing. <laughs> it's always just the right. client's just like, all right, this this will cover my butt. And then I really like that one with the lizard, so let's do that one. Mm. Um, I've probably pissed off a lot of people just now. <laughs> <laughs> um, traditional broadcast advertising um, was focused primarily on building brand awareness and loyalty. With the move towards digital and mobile, the focus is now on call to action and analytics and direct sales metrics. How is this affecting the creative content? Tom? Uh, we are, Damasma Goldstein is a we call ourselves an inspiring action company. What we mean by that is that um, actions are better than ads. Um, the things you do in the world are so much more important than what you say you do. Um, they should probably be the same. Um, and there's a direct model revolution happening, uh, things from Tesla cars mm -hmm. to, um, you know, uh, what is the, the shave, the, the razor blade one? The, um, no, not Gillette. The Gillette. Dollar Save Club. Dollar, dollar, dollar Save, shave club. Club. Yeah, shave club. Yeah. Uh, everything from razor blades to cars is becoming direct model. Uh, people don't want if they can get it. I mean, Amazon obviously sells everything direct model. Um, if they can get it sent to them, they'll do it. Um, so we have to figure out a way for not everything to be selling and not everything to have a call to action, but for everything to come from the same place of the same voice so that, you know, you're, you're not the guy who's always asking for like, hey, well, you know, buy this thing, but you're mm -hmm. the same guy who was really funny last week who is now saying like, hey, I think you'd like this. Um, I think that's the other part of like using different agencies for different things is that oftentimes the direct, quote unquote, direct agencies um, aren't as good at telling the story and the the story agencies, uh, the brand agencies, don't really care about selling, or mm -hmm. or they're like, oh, it's so it's so hard to, for a TV ad to sell a thing, which is true. Yeah. But you gotta sort of it. It all it's all brand because when you get the email in your box, it should feel like it's coming from the same place. It shouldn't feel like mm -hmm. like if I wrote you an email and it mm -hmm. felt like somebody else wrote it, you'd be like, right. what's this about? Who's this in person? Yeah, that's not Tom. <laughs> right. So like. You gotta you gotta figure that out because, um, and I think that's exciting and and fun. And I started in direct, and and I was at Ogilvy Direct, and it was, uh, you know, my first job, and I was like, oh my god, I'm in direct mail, and uh, <laughs> what am I doing here? And all I wanted to do was get out. But those two years at Ogilvy taught me about to write longer than five words, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but also about like you know, it is about getting somebody to do something. Um, so I, everything I did in television too has always been sort of like, so what is the feeling we want people to get or what is the thing we want them to do or how can we sort of make it more fun to do the thing? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's sort of, I think everybody should should at least read a book on it because mm -hmm. <laughs> it'll, it'll inform everything you're doing. Um, well, and yeah, there's a lot of bad direct selling, yeah. but wasn't that David Ogilvy's original sort of philosophy regarding advertising? He did say that, yes. You know, and he was also a big direct marketer guy. Everyone should spend two years in direct. That's what he said. Yeah. 
Um, and mm-hmm. that's what I did. Shucks, that's a mistake I made. <laughs> there you go. Perhaps it's not too late. There's still time. <laughs> I have to go and spend my two years. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any perspective on that? I, maybe? I don't think so. I mean, I'd love to say, you know, what he said, really. Um, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised um, two nights ago. I have a 20-year-old son who, um, you know, he's at that age where lots of things are changing in his life and he came to me a couple of nights ago and said, have you seen that great ad for Procter & Gamble for the Olympics? Yeah, yeah. And I was, he's 20 years old and he's talking to me about a Procter & Gamble ad. For, Shocking. You know, and of course he knows what I do and he knows I've worked on a lot of Procter & Gamble ads and, you know. Mm. Was the, he you buttering know, was you up for something, Nadia? <laughs> was he about to ask a favor well, if of he, some if sort? he did, he did it pretty well because I, I, I didn't notice. You'll get the email soon with the <laughs> right. call to action. But, but still, I mean, you know, um, he actually, you know, um, he noticed it and remembered what it was for and, and all of those things and, you know, it must have popped up in some feed or other that he was watching because he's certainly not watching any broadcast TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah. that's that's what we all have to do. Yeah. Right. Um, well, speaking of, of not watching broadcast TV, uh, the term cord cutting mm-hmm. yeah. uh, is being used to describe a new generation of TV viewers who have either canceled or never subscribed to a cable TV package, instead choosing Apple TV or other streaming platforms for on-demand viewing ad-free. How does this trend portend the future of advertising. Nadia? Phew. Big question. What is the future of advertising? <laughs> <laughs> big, big question. And I think it's the same answer, to be honest, about um, what we were just talking about, is that, um, you know, we have to get people to be talking about our brands, how, however we do. We, you know, yes, we're not feeding them stuff that they captive and, and having to look at um, against their wills, and we have to find different ways to to get it out there. You know, our social media feeds, whatever we're all on, has become our news source, our advertising source. I know, it's so scary. Right, all of those things. <laughs> so, you know, some or other friend is going to post something about, um, I don't know, you know, some new mascara that she loved and I'm yeah. going to go and buy it and you're going to see something about the um, Dollar Shave Club and, and so yeah. on. And that's mm-hmm. what that's that's where we have to, you know, that's where we have to move to. That's that's why like doing things as opposed to like spending all your time thinking about like how do we craft this message that is going to work and make everyone do what we want you know like a robot that was my robot voice <laughs> um, <laughs> to to sort of do things that are fun fun to do like making a um, I love the prudential stuff that that Droga is doing you know like having a, a a marathon or a race and and having that race you know split up into like do do you want to go to college or do you not want to go to co- you know and like right. making it an event that everybody can enjoy and then filming that and making that the content and using it for so many different things um it uh it's more real and it's um it if you can engage people in your company to to do it and to um, share it, then you're going to form a better bond there. But then the content itself is going to feel more real um, and people are going to want to be involved in it. And so it's not just um, – I, I love the, the, the idea of the, that nobody's being forced to get the thing that they're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. That they're choosing, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're sort of in there because when you're surrounded by your friends on Facebook – and you see something fun that somebody's posted, you're much more likely to like that or share mm. it yourself. Or um, 
so it's just a better environment. Like you're you're not in the living room with the family anymore, but you're in you're in this family uh, environment. So mm-hmm. you know it's sort of sort of the same thing, but you can do it many different ways. You can do it in words. You can do it in a picture or a meme or um, a video or you know you can sort of um, so it's it's many more much more fun but much more complicated and to figure out and it's all new so we have to right. sort of uh figure it out as we go right um but yeah i i'm trying to cut the cord myself and mm-hmm. it's really hard yeah me too because <laughs> you know there's so many things like you need your your fast internet you need this show and that show and right um well it's it's yeah. the live shows live i think events. that, that that's live, that's yeah. what's keeping everybody i mean certainly my household my Husband's a big uh, soccer fan. Oh, so right. oh, soccer, right? Yeah. So you can pay for. Um, so we pay English Premier League. Yes, exactly. Soccer. So you can pay for that package, right? Yes. Um, but I just got an HD. Not to digress a little bit, mm-hmm. but uh, I just got an HD antenna. The free the ten dollars from Radio Shack. I plugged it into my Xbox with a little converter that Xbox sells for sixty bucks, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. But I plugged it into my Xbox, and suddenly I get all the live channels from the towers here in new york hd for free wow yeah it's crazy who knew that existed so it's coming from the from the network it's like remember when you were a kid and you had the rabbit ears on the tv not you guys so much right us at this table (laughs) um it's like that yeah it's over the air it's just more yeah over the air they call it over the air hd and um i think people don't know it exists Hmm. I figured something out. I feel I feel like a pioneer. Yeah, you sound like it. I'm yeah. going to look into I'm this. I'm living in the 50s in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, I need more tinfoil. Yes, I remember those days. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I read recently that Saturday Night Live has announced that they're uh, cutting 30% of their conventional ad time in favor of branded content. Uh, I'd like to get both of your thoughts on this. Do you think branded content is more effective than conventional advertising? It's such a difficult thing to um, define exactly branded content. And Mm -hmm. I think if if it's done well, you know, yes, it's of course, you know, uh, as we just said, I, I don't want anybody to be forced to watch something um, that I've that I've worked on. Um, I would love them to be happy to to see it and and to seek it out even. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yes, it's a great idea, but um, depends really exactly how what that what that means. Branded content. I mean, Saturday Night Live is an easy one for you to think. You know of, of what they what they can do, mm-hmm. right. but for a lot of shows, I mean, there was a time whenever it was, I don't know, a few years ago, when people were trying to do too much branded content, and it was all much too obvious and sort of slightly annoying. Um, right, Remember almost, that? almost, yeah. Remember mm-hmm. we cared at one point, and now <laughs> suddenly we're in the, we don't. Like, oh, that was good. I like that they did that. <laughs> but you know, it's a. I think it's it's no bad thing, and. Uh, Presumably, they're really catching up with um, people who aren't watching it live on, on, you know, when it's on air and um, skipping the ads. So, Right, right. Well, you know, I, I wonder, um, you know, what's the difference, if there is a difference between native advertising and branded content? You know, I often thought of them as pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Uh, some people have different opinions about that, Tom. I, I don't know. Um, I, think, yeah. I think the... Like the bad native advertising is like the old advertorial, right. Um, right. where it pretends to be a piece of um, journalism, 
yeah. in a magazine or a newspaper. I think that's what people mean when they say native content. <laughs> right, right. And it's so obvious. I was just just today I, I clicked on something and it was it was like the examiner, examiner.com and it was talking about something and uh, I forget what and I was like this is so cuz I had seen some ad copy and it was the exact same thing mm-hmm. but in like written like it was, you know, with the place and the date and right. the author byline and, and yeah, the byline <laughs> and I'm like wait a minute and it's just like it's you're shooting yourself in the foot cuz people will figure it out, they'll mm-hmm. find you out. Right. Um you can't do it that way. You can't use it as a trick. I think I think if you use it as like we love Saturday night live here at Doritos and so we want to join in on their fun because we're all about fun and uh, like then it's totally cool because then it seems like you guys have the same you know sort of worldview and your friends and right um so they're and, and especially if it's into, really funny and that um, that crosses into then branded content in your opinion yeah right. i think that's the better way to go right um the other way to do it and this is hard work for a lot of marketers but is to create your own content. So to if you want to write an article about the best way to eat Doritos or whatever it is, then write the article and have it have it be a blog post or have it be a a thing cuz I think what Saturday Night Live has realized is that people come to them for s- content. So why not why shouldn't they start making the ads instead of letting these ads interrupt them? Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with brands. I think, you know, uh, content that comes from brands a lot of times is pretty good. Um, Dollar Shave Club is a great example. Um, yeah. People, I get my little packet in the mail and it's it's got the little uh, box of, of razor blades and it always says something funny on there and I chuckle and, and I read their little, um, they have a, a little newsletter and it's called The Bathroom Reader and it's always, you know, it's like Highlights Magazine level of uh-huh. like humor, <laughs> but it's funny uh, and they have reader testimonials and stories about like how readers, you know, what readers' lives are like, or users, sorry, not readers, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, users' lives are like. Um, So like, I love that. I open it and I read it and it's funny and I, you know, toss it. But um, I think brands have to make the content and not pretend that, you know, whatever magazine is is really that interested because the magazine just wants the ad dollars and that's why they write the native stuff. I'm not, I'm not, Pointing any finger, <laughs> right. I haven't mentioned any advertising. Well, New York Times. Uh, made oh, an you you mentioned New York Times. I did not. I just want to point that out. New York Times. They had made an announcement a couple of years ago that they were going to put all this effort into native advertising, and they yeah. showed examples. And it was pretty much what you're describing regarding sort of like tricking yeah. readership. I'm like, are you kidding? I mean, is this really the direction that it they're going to go? And uh, maybe they haven't. But uh, but I remember being sort of taken aback by that. Like, is this is this where we are? Yeah. yeah. Is this in the print world? Is this what it's come to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how the Saturday Night Live writers and actors feel about having to make Dorito jokes. Right. Or whatever they are, not Doritos. Well, I guess Maybe we'll find Doritos. out. We'll see. Yeah. Right. But that whole tricking thing, I think, you know, some of the digital work that's been done in the last 10 years, it's it, anybody that's worked on it, you learned very, very quickly that if you're trying to trick anybody – you get found out so, so quickly. So quickly, yeah. You know, if you pretend something's real or that you really, you know, set something up and you, or, you know, something was just happened, but you set it up, you get found out. And it's so much more work to do all that because then you have to test it and be like, well, they know that it's real and we'll, you know, oh, this isn't working. We have to do a different, like, setup Mm -hmm. and let's make something else up. But if you just live your, 
you know, brand life and just do the things you're doing and, and make films about it and put it out there, how much better is that? Because you're having fun and you're doing your thing. And, right. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just better to just, like, be honest. Mm-hmm. Right? right. The authenticity. Thing. If you yes. have to, if right. you have to trick people, then maybe your your product isn't so good. Maybe right. that's what it is. <laughs> um, I want to switch gears for a moment here. Uh, virtual reality is the hot new tech. Uh, it's getting a lot of attention these days. Uh, Tom is DeMassimo producing any VR projects for clients. And, I'm actually uh, a hologram right now. <laughs> Very convincing, <laughs> yeah. I have to say. I know. I even <laughs> ate the cheese. Well done. Right? How did we do that? Um, we have uh, been, uh, we've had people in, so we had experts come in and and tell us about um, about things. Unit 9 is um, one of them that came mm-hmm. in and, and talked to us about uh, how they uh, work. Um, it's it's fascinating. I think it's just another toy that we can use to do things. It'll it would be fun to play around with. Mm-hmm. Um, we pitched a couple of ideas um, recently to somebody. I'm not sure I can mention who, um, and it's really cool. I think it's like you know it's a fun little toy that we can we can play around with. And and again the um, the hardware is not expensive. Um, they're making cameras now that are. Yeah, right. fairly cheap. Yeah, have, I was just out at uh, NAB uh, last week or two weeks ago, and yeah. uh, I couldn't believe the uh, square footage dedicated to VR and uh, the huge variety of camera products as well as display products yeah. and, that are out there. But my question kept coming up, like, you know, what's the application for marketers? Yeah. Uh, I mean, on the New York Times virtual reality app, yeah. um, there was an ad for, I'm, I'm going to mess up, Hyatt or some some some... Uh, vacation destination, and it was pretty cool because, like, mm-hmm. you're 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 watching it, and it's definitely like a. It's not one of those things where you have to watch it, but it was virtual reality content. So at this point, I'm like, I want to see it, especially yeah. as a marketer. I mean, I I think it's incredibly cool, and I'm fascinated by it, and I've yeah. you know s- s- sorted out and and um, talked to a few people about it. Um, we also actually had publicists pitched a couple of ideas, which didn't um, end up going forward. I mean, I, I think it it's it certainly has its place in, you know, cars, travel, all of yep. you know, and it, and it's a tool. I find it hard journalism, to journalism. I, I find it's it really hard fun. to imagine that it's going to be in any sort of mainstream advertising, really, anytime soon. You know, even I mean, okay, even the the, the cut car, to you, the, cut the, to you with your Oculus Rift on, <laughs> riding a unicorn I actually through the universe. A, I have a picture hey, of myself. I do I have a picture it. of myself with that with that thing on when um, some uh, digital domain guys were showing me some stuff that they did, which was really cool. And my assistant uh, snuck in and and took a picture of me of it when I That's I, I didn't realize it was kind of I fun. mean, nobody but looks I, stupider I, than that. Right? Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. And that and that's partly the point. I mean, you know, like for sports things, for example. You know, I heard that, um, you know, um, like Madison Square Garden could start selling seats, you know. Um, Virtual right. seats, yeah. But, you know, it's such a communal and social thing. Do we really want, you know, do you want right. to sit around with a couple of guys all wearing the headsets, right. watching the game? Do you really, no. you know, you don't want to do that. Not right now. But no. So again, cut I, to I, me with my I, Oculus Rift on. <laughs> yes. With a couple of guys yeah, in my, you, in my you basement. You miss your mouth when you try and get the, you know, yeah. sip a beer. Oh, like, and... Can someone, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> Tom, put your pants so back on. I, I, I think it's incredibly cool. And I, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff that I, I love. And I, um, I, I find it hard to imagine that it's going to be in mainstream advertising anytime soon unless something changes. Right. 
Mm-hmm. I can't wait till they make this podcast into a virtual reality experience, <laughs> and we are actually sitting there with the people. Yes. It'll be amazing. We're working on that at Night Shoes. I'm pointing at the person right now. I'm pointing at you. Um, what's the agency of the future going to look like? Whoa. Say 10 years down the road from now. Tom? I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, what was that? 2006. What was going on? Yeah, pretty much hasn't the same changed thing that much. that's going on now. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe not that different. Um, just the tools that we use. I mean, if you look back, if you watch Mad Men, it doesn't look that different than yeah. the agencies we're in now, right? I mean, it's a hallway and there's some offices <laughs> and, you know, a lot of us are sitting at there's big tables team, now. There's a creative team. Um, yep. But it's... <laughs> Pretty much the same thing. Like Minus it's, the it's drinking. People, yeah. Shucks. Well, yeah, right. I am completely <laughs> wasted right now. Um, but the 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 things that we're making are just different. And it's you're always going to need – that's why I am so, like, blessed. <laughs> did I just use the word blessed? You did. Hashtag blessed <laughs> to be in this business because, like, what else would I do? And, and it's the kind of thing where – um, there's always going to be a need for taking a sort of weird uh, bunch of, of things you want people to do or things you want people to think and putting them into like a little package, whatever it is, virtual reality or holograms or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the new entertainment thing is and, and making it amazing where people want to share it and watch it. And I think that will always – and whether that's a magazine ad back in Don Draper's day um, mm-hmm. or it's – you know, what we're doing now, uh, I think it'll always, the agency itself will always look the same. And you'll always, I think, I think it, clients will always need to go outside of themselves for that. Um, and agencies mm-hmm. will always have to go outside of themselves to get directors. And because if you do it all yourself, it ends up, I don't know, there's something that isn't as um, fun about it or believable or forward thinking or different it, it gets mm-hmm. it gets stale right so i think the it collaboration insulated. will continue um mm-hmm. it'll just be in different forms mm, i hope you're right mm. <laughs> me too <laughs> what am i gonna do just sit what there with my virtual do? reality headset on with no pants with no pants yeah <laughs> that'll be no nobody wants that no. <laughs> hashtag blessed <laughs> All right, I want to thank my guests today, Nadia Blake and Tom Chrisman, for spending time with us. That's where we're ending on me with my pants on. That's off, where we're going to end. Virtual reality <laughs> with For the record, I want to tell you I still have mine on. Yeah. <laughs> The Storyboard Podcast is brought to you by Nice Shoes and Sound Lounge, leaders in post-production audio and video. Executive producers are Sean Grace and Mike Gullo with producers Paul DeCames and Taylor Maggard. Audio recording by Miles Regan. Thanks, everyone. That's a wrap. And thanks so much for listening.